Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another one of our weekly roundups here at The Breakdown. We have a lot to talk about tonight, although it's a little bit less dramatic than last night, which is good. And uh, we, we've also got a couple of surprises. We've got uh, a couple of things we're going to be throwing at you, changing things up, maybe just a little bit to, to keep it interesting. Um, but uh, as always, we're going to sort of start with our breakdown of the last week or so in Alberta politics. And then we're going to go to some, some new stuff, hopefully some, some discussion. Um, but to get started, uh, we always like to try to start off with a little bit of the lighter, uh, a little bit of a more, more the, the less traumatic stories in Alberta politics. And unquestionably... One of those stories has to be the Liberal Party of Alberta finally stuck their head up and addressed the fact that they had a leadership race that nobody came to. Uh, the deadline for leadership nomination candidates was on Friday of last week. And as of Friday of last week, initially, they had kind of shut things down and just said, well, you know, we tried. They deleted everything off their website, which seems to be a bit of a theme. But they issued a update on the 15th where they said, hey, you know what? We, we tried to have a, a leadership race. Didn't work out. Uh, they talked about the fact that they had a few interested parties. They talked about the fact that they apparently had some younger folks who were interested in a leadership role, but couldn't, uh, couldn't commit to it for whatever reasons. And as it stands, John Rajveen will remain as the interim leader at this time. I don't think there's any question that we're not going to see a leadership race for the Liberals in the next six months, which means the Liberals are going to be heading into a provincial election in May, presumably, with an interim leader, which has all kinds of uh, fascinating implications if there was any really serious likelihood of them them winning any seats but one of the things that's really important to remember when we're we're kind of dunking on the liberals a little bit in alberta is that they have in the past showed up and represented and um, they were the official opposition for a good chunk of time until the ndp caught their wind and anything if, if we've learned nothing else over the last few years anything is possible in alberta politics so that's our nice our nice light one to start with second one and this is kind of a, a strange one because it does in many ways highlight the, the fact that there's a lot of politicians, a lot of public figures who have figured out that they can manipulate the narrative to some degree based on which journalists they talk to. Now, there's certainly no shortage of heavily biased uh, news organizations, media organizations. Um, certainly we wear our, our bias on our sleeve here. But we saw that uh, there's a particular reporter with a particular right-leaning news organization that uh, has been getting some, some pretty big stories, particularly out of the Smith campaign. Rachel Emanuel from True North. Hate to say it, but they've been getting some stuff. Uh, she reported that Smith will not run in the Calgary Elbow by-election. She reported that Smith is committed, 100%, all in, 
for riding in her home or sorry for running for nomination in her home riding because she lives in high river she's all in on that um that riding is livingston mcleod uh and Roger Reed, who's the sitting MLA there, is apparently up for a, a little bit of a fight if he sticks around. Um, but she's also said that she's not going to push him out. He's entitled to his seat until 2023, which has some really interesting implications. Because first of all, one of Danielle Smith's big promises is that her first job, day one as premier, will be to introduce the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Now, there's no shortage of UCP MLAs who have come out and said, well, that thing's a flaming train wreck. I don't want anything to do with it, including the current premier, Jason Kenney. So if Danielle Smith isn't even sitting in the legislature as an MLA, she's going to have to do one heck of a job rallying the current MLAs, and she's only got a couple so far that have stepped up and endorsed her, to get that act introduced. Or she won't try to get it introduced. What's far more likely is that Daniel Smith will take those next six months and use the Alberta Sovereignty Act as a election question, as a referendum question. She'll, she'll turn the next election into a referendum in order to, A, not have to try to deliver the Alberta Sovereignty Act in the first six months when she's not in the legislature, or... B, that she'll simply use it to rile up the base that she already has plenty riled up. And as much as we're seeing more and more experts starting to speak out about the Alberta Sovereignty Act, in fact, we have a, an interview coming up with a lawyer, uh, Mark Olshinsky, who's been fairly vocal about uh, his concerns with the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Uh, we've got an interview coming up with him on Thursday. Um, and as much as, as there have been a lot of experts that have been saying, nope, one of the things that we have been seeing is that there is an increase in people who are not constitutional scholars, not lawyers, who are saying, hey, you know what, this maybe maybe there's some there's some maybe we need to rock the boat. Maybe we need to to drain the swamp. And it's really important to highlight. There's a lot of people who seem to think ah, it'll never happen. Well, there's a lot of people who said the same thing about Trump. There's a lot of people who've said the same thing about a lot of things. And we are seeing increased polarization. We are seeing increased populism. Uh, so there's a very, very real chance that uh, Daniel Smith will take that six months to make the next election all about the Alberta Sovereignty Act uh, and try to drive more people to the polls on that. Be interesting to see. But it's really fascinating how the Smith campaign seems to, by and large, have decided that True North is their media outlet of choice. Most of the big stories that have come out of the Smith campaign that have been positive have come through True North and largely by Rachel Emanuel. Moving on from there, the provincial police force. Uh, it's been quite the topic of discussion this week because we saw Mr. Shandro come out and say, hey, guys, we did a thing. Uh, it's the greatest thing. We're, we're going to we're, we're looking at going ahead with this provincial police force. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to have all of these extra resources and seems to have largely glossed over the, the cost increases 
And there are going to be some pretty significant cost increases to Albertans. Now, Mr. Chandro and the UCP have done a fairly good job of trying to make sure that they have stayed on message that there will be no increased cost to municipalities. But the reality is there is a $366 million price tag for the transition away from RCMP to a provincial police force. And then for the services that the UCP are, are claiming that they're going to be providing, there is a $200 million a year increase in cost from what currently is uh, obtained through the RCMP. Now, while that $200 million of cost is the team UCP has sworn up and down on a stack of Bibles that they will not be passing that cost on to municipalities, there's no getting around the fact that that cost is still a cost. And as is the saying, there's only one taxpayer. So whether or not that cost is coming out of your, your municipal taxes or whether or not that cost is coming out of your provincial taxes or increased tolls or cuts to other programs, because we've seen them do that before, it's worth remembering that they raided the Victims of Crime Fund in order to try to pay for a bunch of their other programs. They had to walk that one back. But the bottom line is that there is going to be in the first year almost half a billion dollars in fees and costs to get their provincial police program going. And it's going to cost $200 million um, a year more. But what's really interesting is that Alberta municipalities have been really, really clear that they're not a fan of it. Uh, there were a bunch of mayors who stepped out this week to say, hey, uh, I don't actually want this. Perhaps most notably and forcibly was Jennifer Handley, who's the mayor of uh, Nanton. She came out and said, hey there, we're all Alberta mayor here. We, period, do, period, not want, period. And period, Alberta, period, police, period, force, period. She's really trying to make the point. Just in case our formal and informal communications have not been clear enough. Also would love to hear from other Alberta mayors about their council's position on that. Uh, I have yet to hear of one that approves of this current direction. She then provided the formal communication that was sent to Casey Madu when he was still the Minister of Justice uh, that makes her concerns extraordinarily clear. But there's other organizations that have quite clearly stepped forward. Um, there's a, a, a group that's trying to keep RCMP in Alberta. They have at least, last count, 70 different organizations, including a boatloads of towns, Rural Alberta, speaking very clearly, that they do not want a provincial police force. They want to stay with the RCMP. So it's really quite bizarre how all of these rural leaders are making it very, very clear that they want absolutely nothing to do with the provincial police force. They don't think it's a good in investment. They don't think they're going to get any bang for their buck out of it. They're concerned about degradation of services. And yet the UCP is nonetheless pushing forward it as aggressively as they possibly can. It's going to be really interesting to see how that one plays out. Moving on from there, we got our last little little story that we, we want to kind of touch on. And then we're going to get to the, the fun stuff. We got some things planned tonight. And this is kind of a, a broad strokes. The Alberta Sovereignty Act. Now, we've been talking about this here at the breakdown for literally months. We first brought it up. Uh, sorry, that's the Alberta Prosperity Project. We'll get to that. Sovereignty Act, though, that's been uh, Daniel Smith's thing. Um, 
And as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, the reality is, is there are a lot of people who are willing to buy what Danielle Smith is saying because she's telling them all of the things that a lot of people want to hear, especially the hyper-engaged, angry conservatives who have been a part of the anti-vax movement, who have been a part of the convoy movement, who have been a part of a lot of these farther, if not extremist, right uh, movements. And these, these people really need to not be underestimated. There is a tendency for people to look at the, the people involved with these movements and go, ah, they're extremists and they, they're, they just don't know what they're talking about. But the reality is the last two and a half, three years of COVID have been an incredible opportunity for them to train, an incredible opportunity for them to get organized and spread a lot of mis and disinformation. To people who are frustrated, to people who are angry, to people who don't like how the last two or three years have been. And they're extremely organized. And they're the ones that Danielle Smith is preaching to. And she's not alone in preaching to it. We saw this week Drew Barnes went on CBC. And he openly acknowledged that the uh, Alberta Sovereignty Act and its, its greater blueprint, the Free Alberta Strategy, are in fact first steps to uh, separation. They're very, very clear about that. They want to challenge the Constitution. They want to remove Alberta from the purview of the federal government. And there's a lot of problems with that. One of the biggest problems is there is an increasing reliance on transfers from the federal government. The UFC Policy School released a fascinating little uh, article where they took a look at the difference between income source from 2015 to 2020. And in 2015, 93.3% of the income that Albertans got came from what they called market income or Albertans going out and doing jobs or salaries, uh, self-employment, investment income, all that kind of stuff. And then they compared that against the government transfers. And only 6.67% came from the federal government. But when they looked at the numbers for 2020, the amount of income that Albertans were getting actually dropped down to 84.9% for market income. That's almost 10% drop for how much Albertans were making on their own. The government transfers went up to 15%. And then we also saw 5% in uh, COVID benefits. So 5% of the money that Albertans got in 2020 came directly from the, the federal government in COVID relief. And 15% of it came from government transfers. Moving to a sovereign state of Alberta would eliminate the opportunity for Albertans to collect a lot of those funds. But it gets even bigger because there's a lot of programs that the federal government does provide that the province would either have to not provide or provide themselves at a significant cost, not only in providing those programs, but also in the administration of those programs. One of the examples that was uh, tweeted out by an NDP MLA this week uh, included things like the Canadian child tax benefit. So anybody who's got kids, more or less, gets a monthly child tax benefit. Other things that 
Albertans would be giving up in uh, uh, their own country. Things like old age security, guaranteeing income supplement for seniors. And then this is a really important one. All of the supports, all of the benefits that veterans get, they wouldn't get anymore. So to move to an Alberta country would be cutting off some of the people who have sacrificed some of the most in the service of Alberta and Canada. Now, Barnes on CBC, he talked about the fact that the Alberta Sovereignty Act matches the feelings of Albertans. He said that the, the Alberta Sovereignty Act would allow the provincial government to unilaterally make the decisions as to what's legal and unconstitutional, and it would give them the ability to ignore the Supreme Court. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's start with the fact that the vast majority of elected officials aren't lawyers. I mean, we've seen how shallow the, the legal bench is with the UCP as Jason Kenney has scrambled to keep the Minister of Justice portfolio and uh, available or filled. Sorry. That's been a real problem because they don't have that many lawyers available there. And it's also really important to highlight the fact there's different kinds of law. A real estate lawyer isn't going to have the same insight into what is or isn't constitutionally legal as a constitutional lawyer. That's just the reality of specialties. So it's really important to highlight the fact that there is not an abundance of constitutional legal knowledge that exists within the elected body of the legislature. Now, that's not historically been their job. That's been the job of the courts. But what Mr. Drew Barnes said today, or sorry, not today, earlier this week on CBC, was that he believes that the legislature should be able to decide, not the Supreme Court, not the Canada Supreme Court. He tried to say that the Canadian Supreme Court is politically motivated, where most legal experts say the exact opposite. Because if you take a look at who has made some of the rulings, particularly the one around the carbon tax, the deciding Supreme Court judge in that was somebody who was appointed by Stephen Harper. But the Alberta Sovereignty Act is designed to say, you know what? The legislature is the only body of power that matters. And that should be really alarming to a lot of people because as we've seen, there's been a lot of little quests that the UCP has gone on under the direction of Jason Kenney that they've failed miserably at. We've got the pipeline to nowhere. We've got the carbon tax. I mean, there's there's a running list of all of the, the very bad things that the UCP have done that have been stopped by the courts as they should have been. We've also heard stories from both sides of the aisle about how the MLAs don't actually get to make that many decisions. They're at the behest of the party whip. They're at the behest of the premier. And they're very often told exactly what they're going to say, exactly how they're going to vote. And to think that a government where this much power was then centralized would somehow behave differently, would somehow say, hey, you know what, we're, gonna, we're actually going to give our MLAs more latitude. They're going to be able to say and think and vote however they want. No pressure. We promise this time. With such an incredible consolidation of power is incredibly dangerous. The bottom line is this. When it comes to the Alberta Sovereignty Act, and when it comes to the, the free Alberta strategy, the bottom line is very, very simple. 
we have politicians right now who are telling angry, tired Albertans whatever they want to hear. And let's be clear, that's not leadership. Leadership is getting people to do the things that they need to do to move forward, not regressing them. Sometimes you just have to eat your vegetables. And real leadership is about saying, hey, you know what? Here's how we're, gonna, here's how we're all going to eat our vegetables today. It's not that bad. We'll put some cheese sauce on it maybe. We'll do a little bit of flavoring. But making it so that people understand the importance of eating their vegetables. That is a huge part of what effective leadership is all about. But instead, what we have right now is a chunk of Albertans who are demanding that they want to eat cotton candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we have political leaders who are ignoring the Constitution. They are ignoring the rule of law. They are ignoring the importance of the courts. And they're saying, yeah, let's go to the fair. Cotton candy for everybody. And it just doesn't work that way. It certainly doesn't work that way without significant cost. Angry people make bad decisions, and it's a leader's responsibility to try to de-escalate that. And we have seen in the last week some surprising examples of, of a few people stepping up and actually showing some real leadership on important issues. Now, I want to be real clear before we get into this. This does not in any way excuse any of the things that the UCP or these particular MLAs have done. That's not it at all. But we saw finally a bit of a line in the sand for some of the UCP leadership candidates. We saw with the Alberta Prosperity Project, a bunch of uh, UCP leadership candidates say, whoa, that's a bridge too far. The very first one that did it publicly was Leela here. Rajan Sani followed shortly thereafter. And after the last two, three months of the, the, the conversation growing around the Alberta Prosperity Project, finally, this week, we saw that the only... UCP leaders, leadership candidates that are going to still be attending this train wreck of a forum that is being hosted by the rebel and the Alberta Prosperity Project, who are trying to be a separatist party. Really can't underscore that enough. The Alberta Prosperity Project is very openly on their website. They have policy documents that clearly state they want to be their own political party they want alberta to separate they've got some policies that are unquestionably racist and when we take a look at some of the public speaking that some of the members of the alberta prosperity project do it's very very clear that those racist undertones come from somewhere there's some deeply homophobic comments that come out and as much as here at the breakdown, we're very, very shy to, to throw around terms like theocracy. The fact that their vice president of economics has come out and said at the beginning of every prosperity project event, we read a prayer from the Bible because we recognize the supremacy of a Christian God and Jesus. These are the people 
who want to lead Alberta to become another country. And they're getting momentum. They have speaking tours going on multiple times a week where they are going out to some of the angriest, most frustrated parts of the province. And they're getting people fired up and they're getting people wound up. And they're getting momentum. And that perhaps is no better demonstrated by the fact that the three arguable front runners of the UCP leadership race, Daniel Smith, Brian Jean, well, the two front runners of the UCP leadership race, Daniel Smith and Brian Jean, and Todd Lowen, are still attending the event. That's very telling. The reality is, we got the final UCP numbers released. There's 123,000 UCP members. And it would be ridiculous to not think that a good chunk of that 123,000 UCP members are coming from the Alberta Prosperity Project and like organizations. The VP of Economics for the Alberta Prosperity Project did the opening prayer at the UCP AGM. He's posted videos of it. Don't think for a second that these folks aren't deeply, deeply embedded in the UCP. They are gaining momentum. They are gaining influence. And it's something that everybody should be paying close attention to. Now, now we get to the fun stuff. Doing a little bit of a format change here. Rather than everybody just having to listen to me ramble on for an extended period of time, we're, we're adding a little, bit of, a little bit of fun to the mix. So we have Deirdre Mitchell-McLean, who is a journalist. She's a podcaster. She's a lot of different things. She's a politico. She's been involved with political parties. She's been a little bit disenfranchised from, from her experience with being involved with political parties. But she is hyper engaged she watches all of the things and she has agreed to come on every week and do a little bit of a little bit of a tag team provide a little bit of uh, her perspective on some of the issues that we're talking about and because Deirdre has bandwidth that exceeds that of the average bear she's also going to be bringing a little bit of federal politics in Deirdre how are you doing tonight I am doing well, Nate. Excellent. I'm excited. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. Oh, for sure. I'm very excited too that uh I mean I think you took away a little bit of the 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 fun that I got out of the UCP candidates who are attending the Alberta Prosperity Project Rebel Media uh debate because because it is a fundraiser for them to get some startup money to start their own political party. And they are fundraising off of headliners that are the UCP candidates. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really quite remarkable because if you can imagine, like let's say that the Green Party said, you know, or, or the Alberta Liberals said, hey, you know what, there's an election coming. We need to, do, we need to put together a leadership race right quick here. Um, but we need a little, we need to do some fundraising. Hey, UCP candidates, if we host an event, will, will, will you come so we can charge $350 a head for the VIP experience? Um, <laughs> are you guys up for that? And then imagine the two front runners <laughs> and Todd Lowen saying, yeah, we're there. Uh, it's, it's, it's hilarious to me i cannot imagine that that the uh at the 
the Leadership Election Organization Committee, LEOC. I cannot imagine that they aren't kind of looking at this suddenly because uh, Rebecca Schulz and Travis Taves just stepped down, or sorry, just disinclined to go on Friday. So to me, the idea that the LEOC isn't looking at it saying, wait a minute, you guys cannot attend this event. Like, I would be shocked if it if it's still allowed to go through. It's getting close. I mean, I had to giggle because they did the the Alberta Prosperity Project did have to extend their ticket deadline, which I think is always a, a strong of, of a, a sold out crowd. Um, but here's where I wanted to get your thoughts in particular, because looking at how Schultz and um, uh, the other one, what's his name? Taves. Thank you. Fell out of my head. Um, <laughs> looking at how Schultz and Taves stepped out of it, there was a big difference in how they kind of communicated that. Schultz just kind of said, oh, shit, we aren't going to that, um, and kind of <laughs> left it at that. Whereas Taves, his campaign manager, I haven't seen someone like repeatedly fall on a sword quite as hard as that guy did, coming out and saying, I should have Googled them. I guess I didn't. <laughs> Like, that's literally what he said. What is that? Like, how does that messaging come about, do you think? Because I, I have a hard time believing that anybody's looking at the, the Taves campaign going, oh, you all haven't figured out the Google yet, but you want to run the province. Cool. <laughs> you know, and and I have to say that the, the, the two, so, you know, we've got Sarah Biggs on Leela Here's campaign. Uh, Ken Bozenkul is on Rajan Sani's and both of those campaigns were like absolutely not from the very get-go yeah those are very those are those are two campaign chairs who are really tuned in (laughs) to Alberta politics so I mean those two knew right away absolutely not we want nothing to do with this yet it took the it took you know it took the other two campaigns a little bit of time to figure it out um you know, like, like a month, <laughs> right? a month of all of a sudden this stuff is coming out and they're going, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I didn't know that. And I mean, wouldn't that, I, I just like, I do kind of want to smack that dude across the head or on the side of the head there and say, how do you not get an invite to do a debate and not check it out first? How, how does two of the candidates saying that they are definitely not showing up not give you some pause and say, I wonder why. <laughs> well, and it, what's really interesting to me, and I got to be really clear, this is not a sour grapes thing. This is just a, it makes me giggle thing. Like months ago, I think two months ago now, we reached out to all of the UCP leadership candidates who had declared at that time, this was before the, even the official thing was done. And we said, Hey, we can we we have we're we're very respectful when we have conversations. Um, we would love to have each candidate on, and we we heard back from three, four, two came on, and two two said they will not be appearing on the breakdown, and and the, the other ones just were like radio silence. So I like there's no question to me that there's a little bit of a knowledge as to who's doing what i mean there's no secret that you know we 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 play with puppets and we make fun of 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 people all the time over here um and we do a lot of jokes but 
it's fascinating to me that they had the wherewithal to go, uh, stay away from the breakdown, but they didn't have the wherewithal to go, oh, the separatists who are trying to fund their own party. <laughs> yeah, and that could also be, I mean, that that could be a, oh, the the breakdown is seen as as someone who the left agrees with, therefore we don't need to go there. Where that's where I think that that Daniel Smith, Todd Lowen, and Brian Jean are still looking at the Alberta Prosperity Project, saying, "But these are our people. <laughs> like, these people will vote for us. These people have memberships." Again, it's just it is it is so. I mean, uh, politics in general, conservative politics in particular, is so incredibly incestuous. Like these people just move around the country to, you know, their home bases. And uh, that was, I mean, it was seen as a, it was seen as a negative in 2015 when uh, Rachel Notley and the NDP had to bring in, and they honestly had to, they had to bring in people from other provinces because there were no NDP. um, uh, Oh, they didn't have the bench strength to run a government. Not even the bench strength, but I mean, the the inside people, right? The people who are advising, the people who, they didn't have anyone in Alberta who was used to doing that, right? So that's why they had to bring people in from other provinces, people who had experience within NDP governments, people who were trusted NDP advisors. So that had to happen for them. But with the UCP, you know, you've got, they bring back, <laughs> they brought back Brock Harrison, Right, who started in Alberta, went to the feds, got Andrew Shear tossed, and came back. Oh, Jason Kenny's not there anymore either. <laughs> well, you know, say what you will about Brock, he's nothing if not consistent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is definitely consistent. And, you know, there were more than a few people making a joke or two about that when they first brought him back. And well, lo and behold. <laughs> But it's um, but they they do they move around quite quite well within the within the parties into different provinces and so on because because they are all friends and they can right but but it's, do you think that I'm curious because you know there's there's going to be it sounds like maybe fifteen twenty people at this this forum debate thing based on the the extending the deadline on ticket sales um that's pure speculation on my part it might it might be as high as thirty um but like do you think that there's going to be a cost for the the Smiths and the jeans still attending this thing like to me this seems like the sort of thing that the rest of the UCP candidates are going to be able to, to whack them with at legitimate debates. You know, you went to the forum that was raising funds for another party. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yes. And no. I mean, one, one huge benefit. I was kind of thinking about this, the the particular candidates that we have, you know, closing off membership, membership sales in the middle of August makes it so that the candidates are no longer speaking to the general public. And closing things down in the middle of August, like the UCP leadership race really got going at the end of June. This is this is uh, a time for kind of media, it's media dead time. Yeah. Right? Um, it is hard for, it's hard for independents, 
to get guests during the summer holidays. But it's also hard for uh, like legacy media to get guests during the holidays and holidays. I am speaking of July and August because people are on holidays, but I mean, you have a majority of this stuff going on during the summer when no one is paying attention. Right. I mean, this is, we, we have also coming out of a pandemic last year, you know, people were still iffy about, you know, do we travel? Do we do this? This year, there's like, people are like, screw this. It has been two years. We're out of here. They, there is probably less people paying attention during this summer than at any other time over the last two years. So it's, um, so it's, it's, it's interesting to me, just the timeline that this has kind of held that, that there will be less people paying attention. Now, will they find out about it? Of course they will eventually, but they may not be paying attention right now. Um, so this is, you know, like, can the other candidates hammer on them? Yes, they can. But like you said, there's probably a large chunk of membership holders right now who agree that that's the way that it should be, or sorry, that, that we should be looking for more autonomy, independence, um, separation. Like it just, They'll find out eventually. <laughs> well, there's an expression about finding out that I think is going to be kind of uh, <laughs> appropriate. But I, moving on from there, you are in the rural Albertas. Mm-hmm. What's is there any sort of a, a pulse in regards to the provincial police force, or are people just like, "Ah, eh, I'm barbecuing"? Um. Okay. So I attended the rural crime town halls back in the day when the UCP was first doing those. Yeah. And I mean, and I kept up with them in general because as you mentioned, I do that. And like there, there was no one saying, geez, we need to move to a provincial police force. They were just like, you know, how, how do we get rural police to be able to respond quickly? And I mean, I've, I've even known my area. So Strathmore Chestermere is my, um, my political riding, but our police service, which is centered out of Strathmore, actually covers from uh, in the industrial area of Airdrie into uh, Siksika, which is, you know, east of Calgary. We have a portion of it, Gleeson, uh, sorry, the Gleeson detachment has another portion of it. And, but I mean, this is a, this is a massive, massive amount of space to cover. And we have like, you know, maybe 10 or 11 officers, right? And they work shifts. They're not on 24-7. So, like, it's just, they, people that I heard from, in a, in a way, don't care where it comes from, where that, where that protection, that response comes from. But at the same time, they do trust the RCs. They don't want to pay more because as far as they're concerned, right, we already pay enough in rural. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> that's another, that's another show. <laughs> yeah, that's another show. Um, but, but yeah, no one wants to pay more. And, and the thing is that logistically speaking, it's, I, I don't know how you are going to ever be able to do that without actually posting uh, police like, you know, every few miles, 
and and this is like I said, it's a massive amount of uh, area to cover, and I'm surrounded by rural, right? So from Airdrie to I don't know, it's 45 minutes for me to get from here to Airdrie. So it's 45 minutes for the police to do it too, except that they can go a little faster. But it's back roads. Yeah, you don't want to be going too fast, especially at night. Right? So, I mean, we can only get there as fast as we can get there. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I didn't hear at all anyone saying, geez, we should do a, a, a provincial police force. And at that point in time as well, there were a lot of people saying, oh, geez, you know, we have these volunteers that were basically, I don't know, some, some people at the town hall that I was at were like, yeah, we're not looking for vigilantes, okay? We're not looking for this to be passed on to the individual residents. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for how do we make our police services better so that they actually can service these large areas. So... Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I don't think that it's a big thing. It is a bit of a big thing within conservative, uh, like Facebook groups and stuff that I'm a member of. Um, I'm actually, someone asked me to be a moderator of one. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm never going to like approve any of these posts. They're all <laughs> <laughs> anyways, but apparently I'm an, I'm a moderator. Cause I, of course I accept it. I was like, yeah, sure. If I can keep some crap out, I will do that. However, I'm not the only moderator, so it's not working so well. But um, but no, like I, I I pay attention. There is there is push for it, but no one is looking at the cost. No one is looking at that. So that, yeah, and that to me, like I was I was saying earlier, the the line is there's only one taxpayer, and if you're looking at two hundred million dollars a year, I mean the 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 irony to me is that there's this. Uh, mentality that seems to exist in some of those Facebook groups. I'm not saying all of them, but I don't want to have to pay for other people's stuff. But if the municipalities aren't going to be being charged that $200 million directly, then that means that it's going to be coming out of all of the taxpayers who live in the major municipal areas. They're, they're going to be subsidizing those those costs. And I'm not saying whether or not that's right or wrong. I, I personally do believe that we have a responsibility to take care of each other. Um, but it's it's somewhat antithetical to the 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 gospel they've been preaching. Um, moving on from there, though, I wanted to get your thoughts on the the Smith by-election, because to me, it really does seem like she's kind of saying, I'm going to win the leadership. I'm then going to use the nominations because both her and Jean have now come out and said, oh, we're going to be reopening some nominations. And I feel like he said out of based on nothing other than nebulous ether that that's probably going to be one of the big levers that they're going to be relying on to get their agenda done, because especially if Smith isn't in the legislature as as an MLA, then she can just say, hey, if you guys don't do what I want, I'm going to reopen your nominations and you'll get smoked. So so long and thanks for all the fish. Um, or 
she's gonna like i i look at the the six months after this leadership race and i think she's going to be doing the same thing that she's doing right now where she's going to be traveling all across the province doing all these town halls and talking about the importance of defeating the ndp so she can get her alberta sovereignty act i'm curious if you think like am i do you think i'm totally off base there what are your thoughts on this um well i know that the party has uh come out and said that there's no mechanism for them for a new leader to reopen leadership or uh, candidate nominations now they may say there's no mechanism but uh todd lowen and drew barnes are currently not in the ucp caucus so there is a mechanism <laughs> that they can reopen nomination races and that would be by turfing some of the MLAs who wouldn't get on board. Now, will that happen? I mean, they can't, like, it depends on how many people because they can't get rid of so many that they would actually lose government. So they are, they are slightly bound with that. Um, Smith deciding that she's not going to, that she wouldn't run in Calgary elbow is just smart politics on Smith's behalf. <laughs> oh, there's no way she win there. <laughs> no. And I mean, and you do not want, so didn't, uh, didn't, was it Kenny that said that there may not be an election or a by-election in? Yeah. Yeah. Kenny, there was, there's a lot of speculation when, um, uh, Doug Schweitzer said, yeah, I'm going to be stepping down as a minister. Oh, and also as an MLA, there's a yeah. lot of debate back and forth. And the, the reality is, uh, and we actually touch on this on the the interview that we come out we're coming out with on Thursday. Um, the the reality is is that there are at least two different pieces of legislation that define how long the legislature is a thing in any given sitting for differently. And so the question becomes which one carries the which one wins. And ironically enough, that would be up to the same courts that you know, so many people are trying to be like, ah, we don't have to listen to them. Um, so it, it could get very, very interesting very quickly. But Mr. Kenny said, yeah, I don't think there's going to be one. So what that says to me is that he's not going to be announcing a by-election before the leadership race is over, which puts us into October, November. And I think you're exactly right. There's, Smith would not win an elbow. Um, Schweitzer barely won an elbow. Right. And like he's a moderate ish. <laughs> so, you know, Daniel Smith showing up an elbow would be something to behold. Um, it would. And I think that I, honestly, the biggest reason that that they don't want a by-election is because of the fact, well, that it's Calgary elbow is or Calgary elbow is a start, but also because uh, they don't want to risk a loss before the election because that could signal that you know that the tide is changing right? but even even i mean in the in the true north north story it, <laughs> it just i can't even how much it galls me that that they're being legitimized by the smith campaign because they're they're just not journalists um <laughs> I just I, I'll, I'll I'll hold that opinion uh, 
for the foreseeable future. But even in the True North article, you know, they were very, very clear that um, Smith has said, you know what? No, Roger gets to he's entitled to a seat until spring 2023. So she's not even looking at running in her home riding until then. Well, and I think that's I, I to a point, I think that's a little bit of um, that's just showing some respect for Roger Reed because she's taking his seat. Oh, yeah, there's no question. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like she's and so I think the I think it's just like that's just a, a an uncommon courtesy of her saying, I will get your seat, but I'm going to let you finish out the term. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, I mean, it, it benefits him in a way because now he's got, you know, eight months to figure out what he's going to do next. Um, but, but it's, yeah, so it's a, it's, she wants to run in her own riding because, because it's a safe seat, right? Oh, it totally is. Like she's had a lot of controversy. She lost the nomination in her home riding of uh, Highwood when she was in Oaktokes after the floor crossing. So she knows full well that there is a potential that she might not win any, any spot. So, you know, she, this is, this is her gaining some uh, goodwill towards people who would vote for Roger. This is her gaining some goodwill, um, you know, as as I might be leader, and if I'm leader, of course he's going to step down, but he doesn't have to step down right away. So I, I think this is, uh, and <laughs> as if as if McLeod Livingston is going to, you know, vote. NEB. Yeah, that's not happened. So she, you know, so it's it's safe. But I think this is just her getting some. This is this is her priming some goodwill. Do you think that there is a component of it? Like, am I, am I totally misreading this? Or do you think there is a component of it where she's looking at things and going, you know what, if I don't run in a by-election, if I just hang out, that gives me six months to keep doing the Danielle Smith Roadshow um, and not have to worry about, you know, showing up in the legislature and stuff. For sure. I mean, Kenny did that. Um, how long was he leader before he ran for a seat? He, he became leader in March of 2017. He didn't get a seat until December of 2017. He used that time, you know, to continue campaigning. And I mean, Smith being able to do that and Smith being potentially restricted from putting on the, or sorry, from tabling the Sovereignty Act. And like, I, I thought that was a, I thought that was a fantastic insight that you had where the Sovereignty Act is a ballot question. Now, as I, as I said, I think it was last week, you know, Daniel Smith, who I've paid a lot of attention to, uh, is is sincerely confounded why other conservatives do not think like she does. Not confounded enough to actually look into it and change her mind, but confounded that, you know, they'll just, they'll, they'll come along eventually kind of thing. And this gives her that opportunity to, to try to get more people on board, uh, potentially to hold back 
and hold back not only because she's not in the legislature, but hold back because that would be the safest bet for her to not be Daniel Smith for the next eight months until the election. Yeah. Okay. Well, that I don't think that's why she would do it, but it would work out in her favor if she did. Yeah, for sure. And I think it also, you know, I think that there's, especially if she reopens some, some nominations, I can't help but think that there's a part of her that looks at the whole thing and goes, you know what, if I can, if I can wait, if I can make the election about the Alberta sovereignty act, then if I win, I get to slam dunk it with the MLAs that I want. I don't have to worry about all of the, 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 the drama of individual UCP MLAs stepping out and saying, I'm not introducing this dumpster fire. Um, So now I got it. I got a couple other things on my list before, before we run out of time, but before we do, you, you had a a federal thing you were going to be bringing because you're going to be doing for anybody who, who's just, joining in uh deirdre's gonna be she's gonna be bringing some federal stuff on the first uh, show of every every month i think we agreed on tentatively yeah the first show of every month except this month yeah yeah exactly because <laughs> uh, that's in like four days a <laughs> um, little bit more than four but nonetheless uh first show of every month we're going to have a highlight on things federal uh because deirdre's bandwidth is much better suited to to that because i can't keep track of the the federal dumpster fire and and follow the alberta stuff i just don't have the 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 neurons for it but uh you 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 were going to bring a federal thing to the table tonight what you what you got so i mean the federal things that i was looking at and i mean it's august things are a little quiet however there was a really big story that dropped last week and that is that trudeau appointed the first Indigenous justice to the Supreme Court of Canada. And that is, I, I mean, that's, that's huge. Oh, she's also a woman. Just saying. That's, that's, that's two significant things, I think. <laughs> yes, it really is. And so, yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot going on uh, at the, like, federally right now because vacation there's way more going on provincially which is also probably why we both ended up following provincial politics because it just won't stop um (laughs) but that was that was news that was huge news first ever indigenous justice um first ever female indigenous justice uh she was uh, her name is mm, i have this michelle i'm going to screw up her last name if i don't look it up open saw oh uh all right she uh she is obonsawin is her last name and she's been i mean she's been with the ontario superior court for uh since 2017 so for the last seven or six years and i mean she's she she just looks like like someone who you know has really worked hard and and it's it's super exciting it's on on so many levels right reconciliation and women in general and indigenous women in particular and oh it's it was it was a a grand thing that happened last week so 
Unfortunately, that is the only story, but I don't want to say unfortunately, because that was a big story, but there's nothing really political unless you want to dig through the politics of all of that. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's no question. There's a lot of politics on. I was actually, I was, I was wondering if you were going to bring up Peterborough. Um, oh, and cause, I, well, cause technically that was last week. Was yet, it? What day was that? It was last weekend that, that Peterborough happened. It's all such a bush. See, like I said, I can't follow the national <laughs> stuff. Um, talk about that because I looked a bunch of stuff up this week because I didn't mention it last week either, actually, in my newsletter. So. <laughs> there is one thing I want to say about the, the Peterborough thing and the Romana Dudulo. Yes. The, and, and I'm going to pivot to another thing, and I'm probably <laughs> going to catch hell for both of these, but it wouldn't be the breakdown if I didn't piss off some people. So let's here we go. Um, there's a lot wrong with Romana Dedulo. There's yes. no question about that. That she, that she is causing real harm to people, there's no debate over. That she's fueling something dangerous, there's no debate over. Mm-hmm. But can we please stop with the jokes about her last name? Oh, yeah, the dildo thing? Yeah, yeah like, that's just not... That's That's... It's, it's it's just not good. It's like it's making fun of someone for something that they cannot change, that they had no control over. That yeah, that's just not. It's not. And there's there's so much other stuff to make really good fun of, <laughs> like the 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 sardine platter. <laughs> I Why mean, in bags? Why sardines in bags? I don't understand. sardines in bags in like. Plus, I don't know, thirty-seven <laughs> degree heat. Like, there's it's paper bag. <laughs> there's there's fertile ground here. We don't have to go to to making fun of of people's last names. No, we don't. Is uh, all I, I wanted to say on that. But there's <laughs> there's something else that I I it, it's been bugging me this week, and it's well, it's been bugging me for quite a while, and I just wanted to to say a little thing about it because it it bothers me, Deirdre. It bothers me. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. Um, I'll probably still hold the position. But, <laughs> um, I think we should be done with the term incel. And the reason why I say this is for anybody who doesn't know what incel is an abbreviation for, it's, it, it's an abbreviated term for involuntary celibate. Right. And it, it comes from the notion with the the toxic masculinity it's like it's got to be like 10 years old now um where there were guys who they they weren't able to get any action and so they were calling themselves involuntary celibate like they were the victims of not getting laid i guess um and it kind of i didn't like it at the beginning but now i i really don't like it for for two reasons and the first one is is that when I see people using that as a derogatory term, it almost seems to like validate it in a way like, oh, that guy's an incel. Well, probably, yeah. But I don't think that I, I, I want to go ahead and just reject the whole premise of in, involuntarily celibate. I just want to reject that outright because the bottom line is this. Even if these people are so dysfunctional 
that they are not able to maintain relationships. And with the degree of toxic masculinity that we see from a lot of these people, it's, it's, uh, that's, that's a very real possibility. But the second piece that really bugs me about it is that there's some, there's some assumptions that get made when we start looking at people's appearances or their dumb opinions and saying that they're involuntarily celibate. And one of those things is we're making a lot of assumptions about their orientation. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of that. And the other, th the other thing is, and I'm going to be a little crass here, and this is where I'm probably going to get myself into some trouble, but like sex work is a thing. Yep. And so the notion that anyone can claim that despite all of their efforts, they just can't get any. Um, I mean, it's a choice. Let's, let's be very, very clear. And to, to use that as a, as a, to weaponize that i just don't think that we need to be doing that to me it's it's the same it's the same line as as making fun of dedulo's last name i don't know what do you think am i wrong um i i i would say that you probably aren't i've never really given it too much thought myself um i don't use it as but then again i don't i i try really hard not to go to personal insults so I wouldn't bring it up. Um, but yeah, like you just giving some history on that was kind of new to me. Like I know the word, I know what it means, but it's not something that's really in my everyday vocabulary. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with getting rid of it, but I'm also perfectly fine with getting rid of a whole lot of insults. <laughs> well, <laughs> I agree with you. I, I couldn't. I think that there's, you know, there's ways to to make jokes. There's there's ways to mock that that don't require that sort of level of 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 humor. I think that we can make jokes about a lot of things. I think that we can, you know, Mr. Harrison's track record. I think is 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 very fertile ground for for a lot of different. I mean, his Twitter account is fertile ground for a lot of things. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can make jokes about that don't require us to diminish people for things like with Dedulo's name that they can't control. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's, you know, there's, I hate to say it, but there's a little bit of a cultural element to me too there. Like when you're, when you're making fun of a name that kind of sounds funny and it's an, an, oh, yeah. an ethnic name, it's kind of like, Oh, what are you doing? Are you thinking about that all the way? Cause <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, but it's 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 very similar for the for the incel thing for me because it's just you know if if the best way that you can eliminate or or defeat your uh, air quotes opponents arguments is to say I don't think you're getting laid um, yeah. I don't know that you've won the argument <laughs> no exactly and actually I mean from my perspective I think that was a that was a typical response or retort to women who were getting upset about things was, oh, I think you just need to get laid. Oh, see, there you go. It goes into a bigger theme even there. It does because, and, and yeah, so it's like, I mean, it's a, it's a conscious choice, um, you know, not to, like I said, I'm, I'm fully aware of the meaning. I'm fully aware of, uh, of, of kind of where it came from, not how long it's been around though. When you said like 10 years old, I was like, wow, 
<laughs> yeah, it goes it goes way back. It's like the early days of 4chan is where this thing comes from. Okay. Um, that is one place I don't hang out. Oh, nor, nor do I. I just know the history. Let's be clear. Uh, well, see, I do go to Facebook groups, like I said, conservative Facebook groups that, that I have no business being in and they frustrate me to no end. But I always accept the invitations because... I want to know. I want to know what people are saying and, and stuff. And But yeah, so I mean, some of the ones like I've never been to Telegram, although I do have a, oh, what's the, what's the, what was the, what was the place, the thing that started up right after Trump got banned? Oh, is that Signal? Parlay. Oh, is that still a thing? It is still a thing. I still have an account. Um, <laughs> so see, like I did go there. But I don't know Telegram. I don't know um, 4chan. And, you know, from what I've seen of Justin Ling's uh, tweet threads, I, I don't want to. Like, I, no. I oh, no. Like, he, he goes deep, and that's great. That is great for him. I'm glad that somebody is doing it and letting us know. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I, draw, I draw my line is um, ridiculous conservative stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I I usually have to to have a shower after just listening to to UCP debates or press conferences, so it's it's not my sandbox by any stretch of the imagination. Um, while we have you here, before as we we run into the dying minutes of the evening, um, I just want to throw it out to the the the, the folks who are mm -hmm. out there tonight. And if anybody has anything that they want to add, if anybody wants to tell me how wrong I am about things, uh, all you have to do if you're on a mobile device is click on the little microphone singer on the bottom left-hand corner and you can request to be speaker. And if you want to do that, you can. And if you don't, you don't have to. Yeah, there we go. One second here. We got we got, we had some problems with, with Lynn's audio last time. Ooh, and, and she's... I Remember Come. my that? Yeah. So, uh, Lynn, welcome. I'm I'm super glad to see that you're back. Um, the Deirdre had a theory that maybe there was another device on in the background somewhere, or or something was going on that was accounting for a little time delay. But uh, hopefully, whatever it was that was going on has resolved itself. How are you doing tonight? Uh, like I said, I had a lot to say last week, but uh, not so much this week. It's just. I agree with Deidre that we need to stay engaged with these people because I've been on the Whistle Stop Cafe Chris uh, Facebook mm. page since before the convoy. And for some reason, they haven't blocked me because I don't say nice stuff about them. <laughs> but he's a huge prosperity project guy. So that's the reason I'm following it now. Um I, for one, am excited about the Navy we're going to get. I'm, right? Uh, yeah, Sylvan like, Lake. Yeah. Nobody's going to be able to, to invade Sylvan Lake. <laughs> it's huge, <laughs> right? Um, but I just, uh, you know, I, I'm starting to talk to neighbors today because they're not as retired or engaged. And I just said to them, like, this is huge. I, I don't want them in charge of my OAS. Um... Like, there's, do I need a passport to go to BC? You know, like, this has huge implications. Like, 
we are not another country in Alberta. Period. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I like, I don't want to take full credit, but I will take some credit for Schultz backing out of this ridiculous debate because every single email I got, which is like five times a day, I just said, you've <laughs> lost my vote. I'm not voting for someone who's a white supremacist attending the the Prosperity Project. Good for you. Well, it's the truth. Yeah, I send it to Jean, too, because I live in Fort McMurray, right? Yeah. But... See, and this is Lynn. Your are you are you the same Lynn who was speaking the first yes. night after the debate? Yes. Okay. And I I so loved your perspective that night. I speak of it often. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, when we when we talk about people holding their own side to account, it is it's it's you that we're talking to, right? Yes. We're we're. Saying, you know, if you've been involved in the Conservative Party and you have, uh, you've made your connections there and you have a voice within that party, then we, like the rest of Alberta, is counting on you to use that voice because, well, I mean, I'm sure you've been paying attention over the last couple of years. It, you know, people who were criticizing Kenny for not getting rid of, uh, or sorry for not doing anything about the number of MLAs who went on uh, vacation during that first 2020 lockdown. You bet. Right? Like, they were just looking at it like, oh, it's just the lefties on Twitter, and it's just, it's criticism from the opposition. But no, it's not. It was coming from within, you know, your own ranks. And, I mean, I love to see that that some people do have and the strength to say no i'm with you but not if you're going to do stupid stuff like this so well the thing is that i i was brought up ndp because grant notley was a friend of my uncle so he spent time when he would come to bruce alberta my uncle lived on the farm so grant would have supper at my house so i always grew up ndp Jason Kenney stood on my crescent and I personally got neighbors to vote for him because I believed in him and he lied to me about everything. And I, I have maintained my membership. It's, it's expiring in November and I will be changing it to an orange one. But I have been following this since day one. And I call, it doesn't even matter if they're my MLA. I will call out the idiot that does, I forget his name, he's from Morinville, that area, for going to meet with the, the uh, protesters. Was that Shane Getson? <clears throat> yeah, my favorite. <laughs> um, you know, and I was basically told that he's not my MLA. And I said, but I'm an Albertan and he's an Alberta MLA <coughs> or MP, sorry. And wait, that's no, not it's not Shane Getson. It's, yeah. it's Andrew Freeze. Yeah. Freeze. Freeze. Yeah. Something like that. Mm -hmm. That's who I call. Arnold. 
Arnold Breeze. Arnold. Arnold Breeze. <laughs> He's such a good-looking little mouse. Um, anyway, so I feel, and I know all politicians lie. I'm not stupid. But the things that Jason Kenney promised me on my doorstep, on my crescent, and I got my neighbors to vote for him, made me look like an idiot. Because I have teachers who are friends, I have nurses who are friends, and I feel like he has just lied to everybody. And if we think that Danielle Smith or Brian Jean is going to do a better job, we are so solely wrong because what they're going to bring to this, aside from the Prosperity Project, abortion, white supremacy, all this stuff is coming out of these people. And it scares me to death. Me too, for what it's worth. I mean, the fact that, that we're not seeing condemnation of, of some of the things that the, the Alberta Prosperity Project and its public speakers have advocated for. That is really alarming to me because, you know, one of the, one of the guys who is currently on their speaking tour, um, he, he, he's the guy who has thousands of views on, on Facebook where he's talking about how, you know, they will die rather than give in to, to progressives. Uh, he's talking about how progressives uh, or anybody who's, who's not Christian is trying to uh, push pedophilia in, in public schools. Like that's the kind of rhetoric that's getting used. And even if Daniel Smith wanted to, or or Brian Jean wanted to still score themselves some of those thirty votes at this this function, um, even if they wanted to do that, they could still do it and just say, "Hey, you know what? We'll go if this guy's not going to be there, or if you guys clarify your positions on these things and you and you put a leash on this guy." Um, if they if they did even something like that, that would at least send a message that the views that are being espoused by the people who are representing this organization publicly are not views that these UCP leadership candidates share or agree with. Then it would be, you know, at least a silver lining of sorts, yes. something that that might approximate some semblance of leadership. But we haven't seen that because the. And the scary thing for me, I don't know whether it was you or somebody else put out about the amount of uh, the percentage of Albertans that will be voting for this. What was it? 14.5% or something? That's like 4.3. Or 4. Point, well, what, that's even worse. Thanks. Um, those are the people that are going to vote. So as, as Albertans, if we disagree with this, when I go to Savon and I talk to my Lebanese friend there and she says, oh, no, I don't vote, Lynn. I give her a hard time because I said to her the other day, I said, listen, you have to vote. I know you're not going to join the UCP, but you have to vote in the next election because these people are against you. They don't like you. They don't like your, your job. And she's like, what do you mean? Because we live in a diverse community. I mean, I have friends of 
I don't even know what what nationalities they are. They're from everywhere, right? And that's how how it's been here for 36 years that I've lived here. So these are the people we need to get out as Albertans and talk to our friends and make sure that our daughters don't have less rights than we did and that our health care is not privatized. Yeah. And I'm just going to say it again. I've said it a couple of times, but I, you know, seeing the rhetoric that the APP was throwing out this week about how if Leela here knew real Albertans, all it takes for you to be a real Albertan is you live in Alberta. That's it. That's all. If, if you live in Alberta, you're a real Albertan. And if you're somebody who puts any kind of qualifiers above and beyond, do you live here? Okay. Then you're just an asshole. Yeah. Okay. Can I can I be an asshole for one second? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Because <laughs> Kathleen and I were talking about how uh, we both kind of found it disrespectful that Rebecca Schulz, who just moved from Saskatchewan in 2017, is even running to be premier of our province. <laughs> you know, what? I don't have a problem with it. I don't. I don't. You know, she's here's here's the thing for for me and i understand i understand where you're coming from i get that it's like oh there's i've had the days where i've looked at like a lot of the people who are are some of the most Isn't... i don't know pat kingish aren't from alberta um i've had those thoughts <laughs> but to me the bottom line is this as soon as you start to as soon as anyone starts to make delineating factors and starts to pick and choose you know, what are the qualifications that, that make you a, air quotes, real Albertan? Now we're playing with some really subjective stuff. And the danger for me of, of subjective things like that is if, if my feelings in regards to what a, air quotes, real Albertan are, are valid because, I don't know, whatever, um, they're they're purely based on feelings. There's no empirical measurement that we can do here. But if my feelings are valid, then the feelings of the racists are valid too. And I can't go there. <laughs> I think that if you if you live in Alberta, you're an Albertan, and that's the end of the conversation. Now, whether or not you you should be, you know, the leader of a province, I would argue that's up for the electorate of of the the province to decide in an ideal situation. Um, but. I just, it's, it's, we know what she meant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it um, does, it hurts my feelings. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> well, I think if, but, but here's my one qualifier with all of that, uh, because Derek Fildebrandt was my MLA and Derek of course came from, uh, Ontario. And I mean, <clears throat> I pretty much accepted any, of his criticisms about how things were today. But things that I didn't like him criticizing were our education system. That was one thing that always got me with him because you weren't educated here. So don't you dare. Yeah, no, that's fair. If you don't have any lived right? experience with the thing, the other qual I'll throw one qualifier on <laughs> that I think is a, a fair qualifier. Um, you have to, in order to be an Albertan, you also have to be a Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> so if, I, if, if you're just going to be an Albertan and not a Canadian, 
I refer back to the the asshole table that I referred to earlier. I just got to say, I did some back of, back of the mat, uh, napkin math here, Lynn. And my number in regards to the percentage of the population that's going to be choosing the next premier was was wrong. It was high. It's actually 2.83 and then a bunch of other numbers based on the 123, 124,000 memberships being sold. And that's assuming that everybody who has a membership votes in the UCP leadership race. Mm -hmm. So it's probably closer to like 1.4. But does that include people who already had memberships? Yep. Yeah. The total, the total membership count is, is between 123 and 124,000. Wow. What I read was uh, before the leadership rate or before the leadership review, they had 60,000. Now, granted, that did include ones like people who bought in order to vote in the review, but they had about 50, 60,000 and only 34,000 people voted. Yeah. So there. Yeah. So it does come down to who's actually going to show up. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? I'm so glad that your audio is working today, Lynn. I felt so terrible. <laughs> no, that was my fault. I had my iPad on. I was watching you on on youtube and okay. you on my phone so it was my fault i figured that out after but oh good stuff so you're no. right deirdre <laughs> awesome well thank you so much for showing up again we have another speaker here steven has has raised his hand steven what's going on tonight i was just thinking um i think there might be a difference between the that stupid real albertan uh talking point and the criticism of somebody coming from a different province and wants to lead the, lead the province. I, I think there's a difference. Yeah. How would you define I, that difference? Like, what, what would you, what would you say that it is? Cause it's, I, I'll, I'll admit it feels different probably just cause of the, the authority that's involved in, in being the premier. But what would you say the difference is? I, I just think it's uh, two different criticisms or, well, I don't, I mean, the are you a real Albertans is stupid criticism, like I said. But I think there's more nuance to the criticism of, oh, you just came to this province and now you want to lead it. You know, it's sort of like Jason Kenney coming uh, to Alberta <laughs> and wa- wanting to lead the province. And, well, he guess he technically is from Alberta, but hadn't been here in how many, like 20 years or whatever it was. And it look how that turned out, right? You know, he didn't understand the people. He didn't understand how Alberta, Albertans thought. And yeah. now he's, now he's kicked out. Right. And you could, that you could look at uh, Schultz and say, and say, well, you've only been what 2017. She came to Alberta yeah. and you could say, well, we could end up in the same place because you don't, you haven't lived here very long. You don't understand how people think. I mean, that's, that's a valid criticism of, you know, of, of Schultz. I, I don't think that really has anything to do with, Oh, who's a real Albertan and who's not. I think that there's, there's certainly, and this is why I say, I think that it's, it's up to the electorate to decide. I think that there's certainly a real argument to, to be had that, you know, knowing the, the, the culture and the nuance of, of an area requires some, some time and effort. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to in any way sound like I'm diminishing that, but I think that it's up to the, the electorate to decide whether or not that vision 
yeah, it, it fits with what they want. And I oh, mean, absolutely. based on absolutely based on the the polling data, uh, a. I mean, I take a look at we 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 had a a couple of conversations with Dr. Jared Wesley, who does work with a co- an initiative called Common Ground, where they've talked about what the what do people think of as an Albertan, and it's quite frankly heartbreaking uh, because yeah. it's as monolithic uh, and stereotypic as you could possibly imagine, and that's that's not what Alberta is in reality for sure uh and it's not what alberta as far as i believe or as you know my personal feelings are it's not what alberta should should try to be and the fact that that's the perception that exists of it that's that's a real problem um but i think that it's entirely up to the the a the candidate to make the arguments you know here's why I'd be really good at this job. And if they can sell it, cool. And if they can't also cool. Um, but what scares me is that the, the vast majority of what we're seeing so far in the UCP leadership race, the people who are getting support are not the people who are embracing that, uh, diverse reality that Alberta is. They're the ones who are, are chasing after the monolith, unfortunately. Yeah. And I, I like, unfortunately, I think we're going to, we're going to continue to see that, um, you know, Jason Kenny. that was one of the biggest complaints about him was that he really didn't seem to understand where Alberta was today. And, you know, maybe the leadership review kind of spelled that out for him. It's possible. Uh, but and and like I, I don't disagree that the electorate should have their say, but I also have lived in Alberta for a really long time, and I know that a sign means a whole lot more than it should. Yes. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> right? so, so that is something that bothers me. But we do have another speaker. Yeah. Chad, what's going on? Hey, good evening, everyone. Great to hear everyone's uh, talk and everything. And I wanted to circle talk a little bit about that whole, like the rhetoric of things and how things are, are talked about. And there was some poetry that I came across last week um, that really struck me. And it, it, it basically said, you know, each, each word is a stone and we can build a wall or we can build a path to each other. And... It, that really struck me as so poignant for what's happening with, with how, it, how politics is discussed in Alberta. And I think, you know, talking about, you know, even the, even the leadership review of Kenny, I think a lot of like what he said in the past three years has sown, has, has sown his, his bed in terms of, um, you know, the negative and the, and the connotations to his language. Um, and we're seeing that with the Alberta Prosperity Project and everything with this whole real Albertan thing, too. You're building a wall. And, you, you know, you're excluding, um, you know, people from that conversation and, and, and even having those conversations in Fort McMurray, like Lynn was met, mentioning, you know, not listening to your constituents, but at the same time, you know, disqualifying people from, from, from discourse by saying, oh, you're not a real Albertan or, oh, you know, that, that's not your MLA or that's not your MP. Those are building walls. And, and 
yeah, that was just kind of some of the thoughts that I had that you, you guys kind of inspired me to, to, to come on and say, you know, a few words. But, yeah, it was just, you know, we got to stop building walls and we got to start building paths. You know, this is how we get so extreme. This is how we get this populism is by building all these walls. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Chad. I think you're absolutely right. And this is one of the one of the dangers that that I see of of that that building of the walls is that when you do that, you don't get to see with any kind of clarity what the other folks are up to. Like I've I've made a point of of trying to and I mean Deirdre does a much better job than me, but I've I've tried to stay abreast of what's going on with the the freedom folks and trying to understand, wow, how'd you get here, man? Um, and it's 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 I think that's a really important. I wish more people did that because you know a lot of the people who and I've I've said this on a couple episodes now, but I think a lot of the people who are falling into the traps that the Danielle Smiths and the Alberta prosperity projects and all of that are people who are tired. They're frustrated. They feel like they're out of control. And here comes somebody who's going to tell them that, Oh, I'm going to make it all better for you. Don't worry. I mean, it's, it's such a redone formula and it has never, ever, ever ended well. And I think to your point, if we had a much greater, if we had a better sense of community and we, and instead of these people looking to politicians to say, Hey, you know what? We gotcha. You know, we're, we're not going to let anyone fall behind. I think if we did that as a community, as opposed to relying on people who will use rhetoric to serve their own ends, we would all be doing, doing a whole lot better. That's what I have to say about that. I can't agree more, Nate. Yeah. Have a good night. Thanks, man. Thanks for thanks for phoning in, Deirdre. You got we're we're coming up to an hour and a half here, so I I gotta I gotta put a pin in it. But you got anything else you want to leave the night with? Uh, the only other thing that I was kind of thinking of was, uh, <clears throat> and Chad reminded me of it, was that. Um, oh dear God! Don't tell me I lost it again. That's the second time. Oh. <laughs> Well, when you get back, write it, write down a little note, and we'll we'll come we'll circle back next week. Um, I I want to say, for the record, I am so excited and happy to have you as part of the team. Um, I, I think I I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be really great, uh, and I. I I, I look, I'm really looking forward to the conversations that we're gonna have. I'm really looking. You're and you're such a good facilitator of of people being able to to share their thoughts as well. I think that we're we're entering a new era of things and I think it's going to be really really cool. Yeah. So thank you. There I said something nice. <laughs> <laughs> um I'm clear the room now uh with the Patreon plug. So as a as an aside coming out of the the essay uh debacle, we have uh I think three FOIPs in because it was such a moving target in, reg in regards to who was actually responsible for the essay project. Uh, so we've got three FOIPs in with 
multiple different ministries and departments. And we're only able to do that and pay for those because of the support that we get from our Patreon sponsors. So if you are, uh, if you have the means by which to, to sign up to be one of our Patreon sponsors for as little five bucks a month, you can help us pay for some of those FOIPs and fancy equipment and stuff so that we can continue doing the kind of things that we do and creating the kind of content that we do. Um, so big shout out to everybody who uh, is supporting us on, on the Patreon thing. And one thing at the breakdown that we'll never, ever do, we give early access. So like, for example, the interview that we have that we're dropping on Thursday for everybody else, um, we give early access to our Patreon supporters. So that'll be up on Tuesday. Um, but in regards to, to any sort of content, we, we like to keep it available to everyone. So the, the big perk that you get for supporting us on Patreon is just the, the good feeling inside of helping us do what we do. Um, I want to say a big thank you to everybody who tuned in to listen live on Twitter Spaces. We will be back streaming next week. Unfortunately, in our studio this week, we had a little bit of a, a flooding incident where we learned that the drain pump that comes out of a furnace is exactly the right size for a, a dead mouse to plug it and then backfill the furnace full of water. Um, so that was an adventure. Uh, but we will have everything tried out and ready to go for next week. So we will be streaming on the YouTube as well. Deirdre will be joining us as again. And hopefully we'll have figured out how to do Zoom with Deirdre for the streaming too. We got a whole list of things that we're doing here. Uh, so thank you to everybody who listened. If you're listening to the podcast version, please feel free to leave us a rating and a review because that helps us get into the ears of more folks. And uh, as, a, as a fun fun little tidbit, we were, we were number one. We were the number one political podcast uh, in, in an unexpected country uh, just last week. And uh, so, you know, I want to give a, a special shout out to all the all the folks in Yemen. We, we charted in the, in the United Kingdom a couple of weeks ago. Don't know how that happened. And we we we've been charting in the number one political podcast spot in Yemen for some reason for a little while. So to everybody listening in Yemen, thanks to everybody listening in Alberta. Thanks to everybody listening everywhere. Thanks. And. In the meantime, look for that interview coming with uh, the, the lawyer on the Alberta Sovereignty Act on Thursday. Take care of yourselves and keep the conversation going.